Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface, and Talk Sports Chief Football Correspondent Alex Crook. Alongside us this week, a very happy man indeed. It is the former Arsenal winger, title winner, Perry Groves. We're here to discuss all the Premier League action from the weekend. So this is what's coming up on the show. This atmosphere in here, Sam, is absolutely electric. This is the best the atmosphere's been at the Emirates for the 17 years that Arsenal have been here. Oh, it was crazy, man. <laughs> I literally, I'm still, like, shocked. Amazing. Like, we beat City, finally. Oh, my word. It's wide. It's not a goal. David Raya has got away with one there. His clearance hammered against Alvarez. The, the net was rippling, hence my hesitation. What on earth is the Arsenal goalkeeper doing? It was back-to-back, it's normal. It's yeah. happening in football. So it happened all the time. It happened in Barcelona and Bayern Munich. And unfortunately, here happened few. That's why we won five Premier Leagues in six years. I'm sorry for all of you. the manager as you say to make those substitutions they're all having their hand in the goal is quite unique and he definitely definitely enjoys glass of wine uh, in about 35 minutes we've been waiting for it for uh, for many many years and uh, we've done it in front of our crowd it was the right moment i had a good feeling but after you have to make it happen in the pitch and the boys were absolutely excellent Mikel Arteta the apprentice has got the better of the master Just how seismic was this victory for Arsenal? A 1-0 win against a team they haven't beaten in the league since December 2015. Well, I think it was 12 Premier League defeats on a trot, wasn't it? And psychologically for the players as well, it's massive because um, I said, I reference back to the Community Shield when obviously it was one or after uh, added on time, Chossard comes on, scores uh, in the 11th minute. And I thought that might give the players the belief that they could actually beat Man City. The first 20-25 minutes was very nervy and that was down to obviously David Royer because his decision making with the ball weren't great with his feet. He gave away a couple of times, he came for a couple of crosses. Crook thought it was in. Well, when he, when he was closed he down, exactly, breath. yeah, I think Phil Foden wanted like when to close him down outside of his right foot and the whole of the Emirates Stadium thought it was in and it, it gets the side netting so you get away with that one. After that 25 minutes where everybody calmed down, I thought Arsenal in the second half looked quite assured without actually causing Man City much of a threat. But on the other side of it, Man City weren't causing Arsenal any threats. So they had one shot on target in the whole game, Man City. Uh, and, and do you know what? It was interesting because I think if you watched the game, you were there. And we spoke to Mikel Arteta about this. 
after the game. You and I were in the room with him. You were asking the questions and we were listening to what he had to say about um, the game. And he said, it's so difficult. It's so hard because they can do this. They can do that. They can play players here. They can create opportunities there. And you have to be so concentrated. And Declan Rice, I thought, did a great job at staying concentrated and stopping that supply into the forwards. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I thought he was man of the match, Declan Rice. Obviously, he was responsible for the goal line clearance early on when the header from Guardiola that looked a certain goal. He made a, a brilliant tackle, which really epitomised his performance midway through the second half. Mateus Nunez, who actually thought quite, looked quite lively when he came on. He brought a lovely one to a and looked like he was going to just bulldoze his way into the penalty area and maybe get a shot away. And Declan Rice is put in a perfectly timed slide tackle and taking the ball away from him. Uh, I think he showed why Arsenal were so desperate to sign him, why they were willing to go above £100 million for him. And we spoke about it before the game. Is this the, the opportunity for Declan Rice to prove he belongs right at the top of the food chain in the Premier League? And I think he did prove that. I think Perry's right. Assured is the word that I would use for Arsenal. It was tactically a very disciplined display. It was their intelligent performance. And even more impressive, they did it without their star boy, Bukayo Saka. So it did feel like a statement victory. Does it show that they've closed the gap on Manchester City? Because Absolutely. the gulf was huge between them before. Yeah, the gap's closed. It's closed. They believe now that they can beat Man City, especially after the result today. And that was epitomised in the second half from Arsenal's goal, which was all four subs were involved mm. in the goal. Like Thomas Partey dropping deep into the right-back position with his sort of quarterback pass. Tommy Asu... I said at the time, what's Tammy, he's, he's supposed to be playing left back, what's he doing playing inside left? But I think when you're a player, you get a feeling that you can force the game and you can win the game. Hold on, that's not what Arteta said to us. He said, we said to him, why, why, we, why was Tomiyasu up there? And he said, I don't know. I've got to learn to speak better Japanese because I couldn't get the instructions well, that's, properly. But again, but as a feeling as a player, you say Tomiyasu has gone from left back to that inside left position. His decision, his header was perfect to Kai Havertz. Yeah. His decision was perfect. But the by touch from Havertz deserves a, appreciation. Chest, and then we thought, oh, he's going to shoot, and he just laid it off. You get the luck. Marcelli gets the luck with deflection, but you make your own luck, because if Tomiyasu doesn't make that run forward and Partey doesn't have the proper pass, then you, then you don't get it. And I was really surprised at uh, Man City's, well, lack of reaction, because I said they had eight minutes, and I was thinking they're going like, to get a chance, create a chance from somewhere. And there was nothing in that eight minutes. I don't think David Ray had a save to make. Well, it's three games now without Erlen Haaland scoring a goal, which for him is a pretty dry spell. But more importantly, it's back-to-back -back defeats in the Premier League for the first time in five years for Pep Guardiola and Manchester City. How significant is that? I think it is significant. He deflected it away when I asked him about that. And he said, that's not the story. The story is that Arsenal have beaten this for the first time after He's the editor now, 12 <laughs> losses in a row. But it is a story. And I think if you look at the season as a whole, there has been a drop-off from Manchester City. Obviously, the absence of Rodri didn't help. I think we saw again, as we did at Molyneux, just how important he is. We've seen that other key players uh, have moved on. He's tried to regenerate the squad a little bit. But I think when you've... When you've basically completed football, as they did last season, if you speak to Roy Keane uh, about the season after Manchester United won the treble, subconsciously, some players do drop off. And I think we're seeing that from Manchester City. I think the fact he left Grealish on the bench was really interesting as well. Last season, we felt like Grealish had really arrived as a £100 million Manchester City player. He was a big part in their success. He's just not really able to contribute so far this season. And I wonder, is that Pep Guardiola thinking that maybe Grealish 
over-celebrated that success. Well, he's had some injury problems as well, hasn't he? Um, but it was a game crying out for a bit of creativity, a game crying out for someone to take it by the scruff of the neck. And in the end, it was Arsenal that did that. They had a control on the game, and I thought that was quite impressive. Um, there was an incident in the first half, which I think deserves scrutiny. First tackle by Kovacic on Erdegaard was a borderline, could have been a red card on a different day. If that is given as a red card, they're not going to overturn it. But Kovacic, should he have been sent off for a second yellow card very shortly afterwards? Absolutely. It was a tackle on Declan Rice where he's left his foot, his right angle where you show, you show your studs. And he's no intention playing the ball. He catches Declan Rice on his ankle. I think Michael Oliver, who I think is an excellent referee, I think he bottled it. I think he looked at that and he thought, this is too early in the game. He didn't want to be the one who uh, had that influence on the game. If it was in the 65th or 70th minute, I think he would have sent him off. But I think because it was in the first half, he didn't. But 100%, it was the wrong decision. The, the, the thing is, is that this week, the narrative has all been about VAR not intervening in a big decision, which arguably has cost Liverpool a game. Then you come to... This situation this week where the referee has clearly missed a, a major... I, I asked the question, should he have been sent off? We all clearly know he should have been sent off. Every one of us has looked at that situation and gone, that's a yellow card. Why has he not made that call? And how damaging is that, bearing in mind the context in which it's happened? Well, well, it didn't change the outcome of the game. It didn't, but it could have done it. Yeah. It could have done easily. I think if it would have Arsenal, been a different game if they'd been playing yeah. 10 men for longer. If Arsenal had not won the game, then I think Mikel Arteta would have made a lot more out of it than he did. I think the newspapers tomorrow morning will have made more out of it than they have. And actually, this, despite what Pep Guardiola said, the story is um, that Manchester City have lost back-to-back -back games, that Arsenal have, have beaten the team that they ran so close last season. I'm not sure that the Kovacic incident as a result of that will get so much scrutiny, but you're being quite kind to Michael Oliver. You described it as the referee missing the incident. I don't think he missed it. I agree with Perry. I think he bottled it. I think he was in the perfect position. That The tackle was not dissimilar to the one that he brandished a yellow card for in the initial instance. Yeah. So I think Michael Oliver has made a conscious decision not to send him off. And that's the wrong decision. And it's the wrong decision. It is the wrong decision. And VAR can't intervene because it's a second yellow card or would have been a second yellow card. I'm not card. in favour of that rule. Well, that is the rule. So you have to judge the referee on the, on the VAR on the basis of the rules that are in place. You can't say, well, I don't like it, so the VAR should have got involved. You can't get involved. And also, in that. that's a subjective decision from Michael Oliver <clears throat> on the yellow card, isn't it? So I, I, I don't want him to get involved. It's too many interferences. The referee's got to make the call, but the referee's got to be stronger in those mm. circumstances, I think. What does this do to Arsenal's title hopes? Um, I said before the game that if uh, we lost, I didn't think we had any chance of winning the title. And I said if we won the game, I said that psychological boost that it has, and it gives you even more assurance, even more confidence, that there's every chance that Arsenal go on and win the title. That's We're not what you said. That's not what you said. What did I say? You said to me afterwards, they're going to they're gonna win the title. Well, there you go. I said they'll go on and win the title. Did he say it on air? He, he, I don't know. He kept saying it to me privately. I don't know. Did you say it on air? We were only on air for about a second after the end of the game, so... No, you were too busy singing North London forever. <laughs> you, got, I don't, you got banging to it, by the way. You just adopted our song. <laughs> it's very catchy. It's Not since the days of Ron Atkinson in the late 1980s have the Red Devils lost six of their first ten games in all competitions in a season. You give a goal away and then you, uh, you give, uh, you encourage the opponent. Might drop on the drop for Jensen! Matthias Jensen gives Brentford the lead! A comedy of errors at the back for Manchester United! I just 
find it really difficult the fact that we got David Gea last year, Golden Glove winner. I, I just don't see it with Anana today. Like, I think it was at fault again. Cross comes in, sent goalwards, blocked out by Strakosha from Dallow's shot. Another shot, it's in! It's in! Manchester United have equalised! Can Manchester United now get a winner in the last two minutes of this added on time? We built up uh, the pressure on the, on the opponent. And then you see our fitness is also very good. And then the belief, so mental, we are in a very good place. The fans were behind us. Up to the edge of the area, headed on. Might break for McTominay! He's done it! For McTominay! Wins the game for Manchester United! Has that saved Eric Ten Hag as Manchester United manager? He is Man United uh, in all his fame and all his heart. Uh, and you know he will fight for that bet. Now, heading into this game, Manchester United were on the brink of an absolute crisis. In fact, heading into injury time, they were heading into an absolute crisis. You were there. You've watched it back. I've watched it back as well. I mean, this is basically, what, a four-minute game for Manchester United at the end of well, the, the 90? It's not Fergie time anymore, is it? It's Ten Hag time or McTominay time, whatever way you want to look at it. Because I was there and Manchester United for 90 minutes were awful. Absolutely. Uh, Brentford got their tactics spot on, like the 5-3-2. Uh, Vissa and Umbuemo up front always look really dangerous. You look at the goal that May United gave away, where Casemiro's really sloppy in possession. It was a dreadful goal. And to then, to be fair to Wissa, he does really well. Umbuemo at first, then Wissa. Then there's six May United players in the box, and none of them can clear the ball properly. Well, Lindelof's, Lindelof's clearance was awful. He gets his feet all mixed up. Then it comes to Jensen and it's a controlled shot. But Onana, the angle that we had was watching it, we couldn't tell that it hadn't gone straight in the corner. And it actually goes under his right forearm. So he dives up instead of actually diving down and across. So that was his fault. And then to be fair to Ten Hag, he just went all in. He basically went 4-2-4. He had four forwards on. And I give Thomas Frank a little bit of criticism because he substituted Rissa. And what that meant was... There wasn't the threat in behind with those two up front. And then Manchester United could then start getting further up the pitch. And they actually pressed Brentford in. And Brentford dropped deeper and deeper and deeper. And to be fair to McTominay, his first goal was a brilliant finish. His first touch where he pulls out the air and swivels with his volley. And his second goal, obviously, uh, Harry Maguire heads it back across. Ethan Pinnock was absolutely outstanding. It was up there with Craig Dawson's performance when he, uh, against Erling Haaland. He switched off for one second, and that's when he didn't pick up uh, McTominay, and he scores the header. So if this was a group of Man United players that I thought had heart and soul and determination, this could be a pivotal uh, part of their season, could be a turning point. I'm not sure if it is. I think it could pay over well, well, on that, that's quite interesting, is it? Because Herrick Ten Hag said afterwards, these are the games that can be fueled to the dressing room. Every player, every second he's on the pitch has to deliver that. Can this be a turning point for Manchester United? That's a no. Well, <laughs> well, you hope so. You hope so. But How you, confident are you about no, it? No, I'm not confident, you know, based on what we've seen so far. We, we thought the Palace win that midweek was a turning point, having beaten Burnley a few days earlier, and then they go and lose to Palace in the league. This is a, a Manchester United side that have a weak mentality, that is littered with weak characters, that is littered with players who don't have a particularly substantial backbone. So I think a lot's going to depend on what Eric Ten Hag does with his next team selection. They've got Sheffield United away next. That has to be a victory. 
He was bold. He took off Casemiro at half-time. He shouldn't start the Sheffield United game. He took off Marcus Rashford, which, as you know, uh, I was crying out for him not to be selected in the starting lineup last weekend. He shouldn't start against Sheffield United. Ganacho should be in. Maguire should keep his place. I think Eric Ten Hag needs to make these ruthless decisions in order for it to be a turning point. And McTominay should start as well. It's interesting that you say that, and I was going to ask you the question about ignoring reputations, because one of the things he didn't do after that Palace game was build on the success that they had, which was they managed to keep a clean sheet, they managed to create opportunities, and then instead of pressing the go button on the return of Maguire, return of Garnacho, who he'd given a dress and dressing down to and said, you're not doing enough for me off the ball. Instead of taking Rashford out of the team and punishing him for not playing well enough, he decided to go back to the trial and test it and it backfired. So this time, as he got the ability, as he got the, as he got the strength to take those big name players out of the team and play some of the younger and less heralded players. Well, the, the Palace team against, uh, sorry, the main night against, against Palace in the cup game, he had Palestri, he had Hannibal, and you mentioned Garnacho. And he left Garnacho and Hannibal and only played Palestri in the next game. Mm. This main United team, he kept saying about McTominay, all his interviews was about heart, wasn't it? Mm. He said he's got the heart, he's got the main United heart, he wanted to get in the box, had the determination, desire. That's what he's got to be brave with with the younger players because the main when May Knight one 0 down against Brentford, normally you'd get a bit of a surge from the crowd. There was a bit of a acceptance as if to say, we can't see how get getting ourselves out That's of this. That's how I felt to be honest. And, it, and then for McTominay to come on, and obviously he had May Knight had a goal disallowed as well, quite rightly for offside, wasn't it, when Martial come back. So I think the May United fans thought that's our chance and that's gone. So um, he's got to have Ten Hag the courage of his convictions. He's got to make sure that he puts a heart and soul into it because the culture in the whole club ain't good. It's, it's basically rotten from the, from the top all the way down to the players. The culture isn't great. Marcus Rashford, Rorislav on the right-hand side for Brentford, he looked like Cafu yesterday. He was just charging up and down that right-hand side. And I think Marcus Rashford had his braces caught in, um, in the goal because <laughs> he, can't, he won't come back over the halfway line. You, you just watch it and you just go. We've been no. saying this for ages. I sent you all a, a, in the, during the Bayern Munich game. I was ten, taking videos of his performance and sending it to you before um, the last international break because he, he just refused to do anything other than a token gesture in terms of coming back. And that's a cultural thing that has to change. But I mean, I, we, we should be a little bit surprised that there wasn't that belief that they were going to come back because, you know, it's Manchester United. They've always come back in the Premier League. I mean, how often have we seen Manchester United 1-0 down, going into the stoppage time in the Premier League and come back and win the game? It's happened loads of times, hasn't it? Yeah, but you're going back to a bygone era. No, it's never happened before. Would you believe this? Eric Ten Hag is the first ever Manchester United manager to be trailing going into Premier League stoppage time and win the game. What about that Steve Bruce game against Sheffield Wednesday? Where was I the think they must have equalised just before the 90-minute mark. Yeah, I read this yesterday. Are you, are you questioning like, stats, man? Are you, are you questioning stats, man? What's, what's happening? I, I, to be honest with you, I did read it in one of the papers, so I've just nicked it out of them. So now you just blame, just in case you just are Just in case I am. Massive. Yeah. I, I'm going to claim a little bit of credit for the victory, by the way. Oh, yeah. I haven't told How? you this you yet. You weren't there. No, I'm quite you a You were at Fulham versus Sheffield United. I, I, How are you claiming I'm quite, I'm quite a superstitious fella. Were you touching fella? the radio like no. Uri Geller? <laughs> so we, 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 we'll go back to, uh, to, to the Champions League final in 1999, and I, uh, I changed my socks uh, with five minutes to go in that game. Well, you ain't changed them since. <laughs> So that, that's, why they, like it, that's, that's why they won the treble. And I was with Adrian Durham at Fulham, and obviously we were going back to John Dunn, it was at Old Trafford for reports, and I thought, I can't bear any more of this. So I actually took off the earpiece that was uh, playing the output of the programme, yeah. and just therefore listening to Adrian. 
And I thought, if I take this earpiece off, they're going to score. Because, you know, I, I was fed up with, let's go back to Old Trafford. They've still not scored. They're still losing 1-0. So I took off the earpiece. And then, of course, two minutes later, Adrian says, goal at Old Trafford. Put the earpiece back on. It's 1-1. Yeah. It's almost entirely down to you. <laughs> Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Luton nil, Spurs won. That was our offering on game day on Saturday. 10-man Spurs managing to maintain their unbeaten record. They are top of the table as we stand going into the international break, which is great for Ange Postacoglu, I spoke to uh, yesterday. Some big revelations that came out of this particular game, including that to celebrate the victory, when I was standing outside the Tottenham dressing room, they were playing Dolly Parton, Islands in the Stream. <laughs> one for gar- the kids. It's a bit of a bit of garage or isn't it? Like so a I, actually, bass or I actually said to Ange, I said, Ange, is this down to you? And he went, uh, what are you trying to say, mate? Yeah, you told him he was and old. And I said, well, it's more close, closer to your generation than theirs to be for. It's shocked me, to be honest. I think Andrew got a bit of um, Kenny Rogers in, don't you think? Do you think so? Yeah, oh, yeah, he could do a bit of They Kenny also had Earth, Wind and Fire. My oh, money's Boogie on, Wonderland. No, it was September. All right, but we're in October. Now. I don't know. My money's on James Madison, by the way, to, do you know what? to be the jukebox jury. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty certain it was Madison, to be honest with you. Islands in the Stream sounds right up his street. Um, actually, Brian Mason came out of the dressing room and I said, Dolly Parton. And he went, oh, I love this, to be fair. Um, this was a game of misses, though, wasn't it? Richarlison missing in the first few minutes of the, the match, missing another one just after that. Pedro Porro, Madison, all missing opportunities. Kulisevsky, 12 shots in the first half for Spurs, and they didn't score a goal. And then they come out in the second half. Adebayo misses one from two yards out, and then Tottenham go up the other end and punish them. Adebayo actually tackled himself. When the ball comes in from the right-hand side, all he's got to do is slide in with his left foot. Yeah, no yes. faith in his left yeah, foot, yeah, did he? Yeah, he's gone with the right foot and tackled himself. I have to say, from Spurs' point of view, that they showed a lot of character and a lot of resilience because Kenilworth Road isn't an easy place to go to, by the way, because Luton are very physical. And he made a decision at half-time. He took off Richarlison and put Hoiberg on to give him that bit of steel in there. And he took Madison and Son off when they were 1-0 up and coming a little bit of pressure. So he's not afraid to make big decisions. Um, he takes Madison and Son off every week, which is infuriating for everyone who plays fantasy football. Yeah, but I think that time it was more tactical rather than obviously to save him. It was a brilliant goal from Ricky van der Ven, wasn't it? Where Madison does great on the touchline and he opens his body out and like side foots with left foot. And I, I must admit, 
say it does pain me, but there is there's a different feel to Spurs at the moment. There's a different resilience to them to see that one nil, and especially with embarrassingly Basuma getting sent off. Well, I was going to ask oh. you about that because that was an Oscar-worthy performance, yeah. wasn't it? I mean, it was. It was pretty embarrassing for uh, Eves Basuma. And Postacoglu refused to throw him under the bus. He just said, look, he's made a mistake. He's helped us out enough. You know, we'll, you know, his mates had to cover him and they did. So he's lucky. Now he's got to pay us back over the course of the season, which he will do. I was actually really impressed with the referee, John Brooks, because he didn't have no truck with it. You know, sometimes you see the situation which developed at Manchester City's game on Sunday where Kovacic should have been sent off for a second yellow card, which was a hefty challenge, a reckless challenge. The second yellow card didn't come out because the referee didn't want to give it. And then you think that he sent off Yves Basuma in the first half of a game, one of which was for diving. You know, on another day, you know, he didn't have to make that call, but it was the right thing to do, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's disappointing from Basuma because he's been one of the star players for Spurs this season. It's interesting because the, the, the common conception is that the Tottenham are in this position because they are dramatically improved. They've got this character that Perry says, but also because they benefited from a kind fixture run. But if you look at their next few games, there's not too many banana skins in there. I don't think they're going to go away anytime soon. So are they in the title race? Um, I think realistically they're in, obviously, the race for the Champions League. They've said to Spurs fans begin the season that that's where it'd be. They would have snapped your hands off because I don't think their it's squad... Being diplomatic again. He actually said after the game today, Tottenham, no, they're not involved in it. But it's are you like MI5 or something? Like we're just recording everything. No, I actually said their squad, I don't think, is going to be strong enough because you mentioned Son, you mentioned Madison. They're only an injury away from one of their main players. Um... And you mentioned Richarlison there missing. They should have been three or four new up in the first oh, like 20 minutes. Absolutely. And they weren't half chances, they were proper chances. But um, from Spurs fans' point of view, they're actually enjoying watching their team play football. Don't they? They've got a bit of joy there. Talking of which, Burnley won, Chelsea four. Wow. What a performance in the second half from Chelsea anyway. They went 1-0 down. They weren't very good in the first half. Second half... He sends them out with a flea in their ear, Maurizio Pochettino, three minutes before the start of the second 45. Cole Palmer, Conor Gallagher, Raheem Sterling, Bosch, 4-1. Sterling was magnificent. He was, and uh, I guess there's a message in there to Gareth Southgate because he's been overlooked for yet another England squad. And as we sit here recording this on Sunday night, the impression I get from sources close to Raheem is that he doesn't expect the call, even if Bukayo Saka is withdrawn. Nicholas Jackson as well. We've mentioned him. What a brilliant finish that was um, to, to seal the victory. And as you say, it was a really impressive second half performance. I still worry for Burnley. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people gave them a little bit too much kudos at the start of the season because of what they did last year under Vincent Company. I don't think they've been particularly good in the Premier League, and I think they're probably going to end up back in the Championship. But it was it was good for Chelsea to pick up those three points on the road because they've got a difficult run of games coming. And I think you can see in that second half that that maybe things are starting to come together, as they should when you spend a billion quid. You must have got a shipment of new lemons to suck up that negative energy. They got rid of them all. Apparently you got got new lemons in. Got new lemons in, sucking up the negative energy. Yeah, probably because they went off too quickly because they were sucking up so much negative energy. Well, there's too many lemons on the pitch to start off with. (laughs) Well, listen, one of those is not Carl Palmer because he showed his melons to step up and uh, dispatch that penalty. At 1-1, when you're that age, that young and so new to a club, that takes some serious kahunas, doesn't yep, it? Yep, 
it does take a, a lot of bottles to take it. It was a definite penalty, wasn't it? Like Raheem Sterling, brilliant down the, the left-hand side. Um, and I, I just looked at, at Chelsea. I just thought with Broyer up front, I just thought that he gave him more of a, a focal point. He gave, obviously, Sterling on the uh, left-hand side, Cole Palmer on the right-hand side, something to play off of. And I think they look better with that, that focal point. Armando Breuer, who scored against Fulham and played a part in this game as well. Five defeats at home for Burnley. And I, I would be a little bit concerned if I was Vincent Company about the nature of the collapse in the second half. And the number of goals they concede. As I say, I think people have overestimated Burnley. They may well prove to be the best of the three newly promoted clubs. But at the moment, it's very hard to make a case for those three newly promoted sides not going straight back to the championship. Is it only Sheffield United was conceding more goals than Burnley? Yeah, and that's and quite... That's that was 81-1 game, exactly. in fairness. <laughs> clean sheets, so they, they need to get clean sheets. Uh, someone who did keep a clean sheet at the weekend were Everton. 3-0 victories over Bournemouth. They've ended their misery at home. It's the first time in a year they've scored more than one goal at home. There was a great headline in one of the papers this weekend, which read this, Perry... Everton aren't bad enough to go down. <laughs> By contrast, Bournemouth, dot, 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 dot. Well, it was the first time they'd scored more than one goal at home since October 2022. Um, Sean Dice never panics, does he? Every time you see him interviewed, you know, he, he said, it's, I don't, he doesn't. I, I, I'm a bit worried about him. What, because he doesn't panic? <laughs> no, because last night during a post-match interview, he quoted XG as the reason for being optimistic. And John Dyche and XG doesn't really mesh but together. It, but to be fair to him, at Goodison Park, their XG has been really good. They it just has. Had anybody to finish it. But when you're citing XG, I think as a football, I mean, it's all right for me to do it and you to do it. Yeah, we're analysing sure the game when you're the manager. It doesn't wash with the fans. It doesn't look it, right. He might have been talking about his clothes. He might have been like, I thought it was extra large or something, <laughs> might he? But again, it's the centre forward like Calvert-Lewin. Obviously, back fit, playing up front. Harrison coming on on the right hand side, which was a brilliant goal, wasn't it? A brilliant like first time lock. Brilliant so, finish. Yeah, so they've got a bit of Decore uh, and Anana. So through the, the spine of their team, they're, they're in no danger of, of, of getting relegated. They're going to end up halfway without any chance. No danger of getting relegated. No chance. Absolutely no chance. They've got too many. If you look at the group of players individually, the group of players he has at Everton are far better than the group of players that they, he's They've so almost well been at relegated in each of the last two years. But he's now putting his own mark on it um, at the back. They're a lot better where they're not conceding as many. I said it was their clean sheet. I said with the balance with Harrison right-hand side, McNeil on the left-hand side, Decore and Anana. They've got too many good players. Well, I, I said to you at the beginning of the season, I thought they were acquiring a squad of experience and I thought that would mean that they'd be OK. But I don't think they'll be completely out of danger. Unlike Bournemouth, who, let's be clear, have yet to win a game. They're in a situation under Andoni Iraola where he was brought in to replace a manager who did a very good job last year. At some stage in the future, that pressure is going to start to come on his shoulders because from what we're seeing at this moment in time, look, I mean, I mean slip by Zabani for the first goal. OK, it can happen. The goalkeeper makes a mistake for the second goal. Third goal, I don't know what the goalkeeper's doing. He ends up trussed up in the net before there, the shot goes There in. was a foul, though, in the build-up to that third goal. I think it should have probably been pulled back. Adam Smith was taken out right at the start. And then the would that have changed the result? No, it wouldn't, but 2-0 looks better than 3. But I think you're right. I, I actually expected Bournemouth to possibly come away with a positive result just based on Everton's poor home form. I think it's not so much the defeat, it's the, it's the nature of the defeat, the fact they've allowed Everton to score three goals. They're 12 games now without a win dating back to last season, the longest such run in their history. And they've got the return of Gary O'Neill to come in the first game after the international break. And we know Gary, it'll be very diplomatic publicly. 
He's going to want to stick one on Bournemouth, absolutely no question about that. It's just another game. <laughs> it definitely isn't. And if they lose that game, then they go to Burnley, they don't get points from that game, I think all of a sudden questions will be asked. Brighton 2, Liverpool 2. Um, this was brilliant. This it was a fantastically entertaining game. We were all at the Emirates and we were watching it on the screens. And um, Liverpool got two goals. Brighton ended up getting a late equaliser in the match. It was great for them that they managed to put a point on the board after last week's thrashing. But games involving these two teams always involve a lot of goals, no matter who they are playing. Liverpool keep conceding the first goal. Um, Brighton just keep conceding goals. Is that going to limit both of their ambitions going forward this season? I think it's Liverpool's conceded the first goal, last five away Premier League games on the trot. So you're always playing catch up and get themselves back in like two and up with two goals from Mo Salah. You're probably going to talk about uh, the penalty in a minute as well, where may have been sending off. But Jurgen Klopp will be distraught for Lewis Dunk's equaliser because when the ball comes in from the um, left-hand side, Solly Marsh just feeds it in and Liverpool goes zonal along the six-yard box. So basically, when it means, when it's zonal, when it comes into your zone, you attack the ball. Robertson's at the near post. He lets it go past him. Matip, Lewis Dunk, I thought when we heard the commentary, I thought it was a header. Mm. It wasn't. He, he actually volleys it in from about, what, half a yard off the floor? Yeah. How can somebody score from a free kick from a wide area in the middle of a six-yard box when they're volleying it in. That's going to be Liverpool's problem, is going to be their defensive side of it. Yeah, uh, West Ham also had a bit of a problem with defending set pieces in uh, their game against Newcastle, which finished 2-2. You wanted to talk about the uh, penalty decision. Well, there's a couple of penalty decisions in this Brighton-Liverpool um, game, which I think deserve scrutiny. The first one where Salah is, scores from the spot after Shabozla is brought down by Pascal Gross. Now, he takes no attempt to play the ball, but the view of the referee, the VAR, and the PGMOL is that he did not deny a goal-scoring opportunity. So I ask you, if a player of Shaboshlai's quality is round the goalkeeper, is seven yards from the goal, maybe eight yards from the goal, and he's only got Lewis Dunk to beat, is that a goal-scoring opportunity or not? Yeah. Um, and, and the issue again here is it's down to interpretation. There's, there's too many grey areas with the way that they're making decisions. What, what the referee in the VAR didn't think was a goal-scoring opportunity this week, a different referee in VAR will think it's a, a, de a definite goal-scoring opportunity next weekend. I think it was probably a red card. Well, he's basically 1v1 with a goalkeeper because Lewis Dunk doesn't get on the line until um, Sabozla is pulled down by... Pascal Gross, because he's actually going laterally, isn't he? So he's 1v1 with Verbruggen, so he's going to go round him. So in that period of time that happens, it's 100% a goal-scoring opportunity. And well, again, it's just another they're, they're Apparently, as far as I understand it, they believe there was doubt there, and because there's doubt, it's not a clear goal-scoring opportunity. So that denial of a goal-scoring opportunity has to be the next action is going to be a, 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 the likelihood of a goal. Maybe they thought it was Darwin Nunez and not Shabozlai. Oh, that was a bit naughty. Uh, it's not going to make you many friends in Liverpool. Well, I doubt you've got many friends there, either. Um, yeah, Manchester United have won one. a game. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, the cocky sure. crookie is back. Um, let's talk about the other decision that Brighton weren't happy about, which was the handball by Virgil van Dijk. Now, I must admit, I've only seen it once. And... My view on it when I first saw it in normal time was always oh, handball because it hit his hand. But then when I see it the second time, I think it flicked off another part of his body 
and his arm wasn't too far away from his body. It wasn't like the, the Luton one where the player's going in with his hand up there. So what I about the Lewis dunk one against Luton on the opening weekend? Yeah, of but the that, I mean, they admitted that that was wrong, that one. That was clearly wrong, that decision. So then, I don't know, it's a bit great. I don't think, because Motoma cuts in on the right-hand side and he, he shoots. And he said, it, I think it comes off over his thigh or just on his knee. But his arm isn't up that way. His no. arm is down there. It's away from his body, though, isn't it? A little bit. Yeah, but you can't. You ain't going to do the river dance as a centre half. Are you? Well, make that's how they smaller. want you to be, Perry. They want well, to they walk want you around smaller. like Michael Flatley, like a penguin. Is that yeah. the you've got to walk around? Yeah, like Luigi Colina's got this sort of vision, really, that the best. You know, it'd be better if, if, if footballers just taped their arms to their body. I think. Yeah, I, I must admit they've taken a lot of stick. I don't think that that one was a penalty. No, um, I certainly think we should probably lay off them this weekend if we can, although it hasn't always been uh, possible. Um, West Ham 2, Newcastle 2, I mentioned that. No Callum Wilson, but is that getting two goals there? They were denied a victory, Newcastle United, after Hamid Kudus' first Premier League goal. It was a really well-taken finish on the edge of the penalty area. That was excellent from them. And the atmosphere was great afterwards. West Ham have won seven of the last 11 now, but um, they're doing very, very well. It's their best start to a season since 1980. 83-84. Um, what else do we need to mention? Wolves won, Aston Villa won. Uh, Pau Torres with the goal for Aston Villa after Huang had put them in front. Actually, Pau Torres, good job that he equalised and atoned for his error because he was part of the reason they conceded a goal. You're not having Pau Torres on. No. Give him a break. Yeah. Uh, with um, the Wolves front three, there's loads of pace. Oh, and there's Neto on, on the right-hand side. Again, does his... River dance like foot overs, and he's got Pau Torres where he wants him. And to be fair to uh, Huang He Chang, he scored 60% of um, Wolves' last 10 goals. He scored the six, like six goals. And what he's doing is actually, when the ball's in the wide areas, he's making sure he's getting himself in the six yard box. Exactly what he did for his goal gets crossed in the near post first time and just finishes it. Um, Fulham, you were there on Sunday. Uh, Saturday, sorry. 2-1 uh, win, 3-1 uh, win against Sheffield United. A couple of own goals in this game. Um, Wes Fotheringham, I, th I mean, it wasn't really an own goal, was it? It was just a, a spectacular slip hit from uh, yeah, Tom it was Kearney. A <laughs> it, was a, it was a freak of a goal. Um, but when you lux out, you lux out. Obviously, they lost John Egan before the game. He's going to be out for several months, according to Paul Heckingbottom. They lost... Chris Basham to an awful a really injury. horrible yeah, best injury. Best wishes to him, by the way. It was one of those where, as soon as it happened, I, I looked at Anthony Robinson, who was almost in tears, the nearest Fulham player to the scene. So it was a bit reminiscent of David Boost against Manchester United all those years ago. We wish Basham a speedy recovery. But that's two big absences for Sheffield United. Their squad is not deep anyway. Uh, I think they're going to have it all to do, not to not just to not be relegated, but not to finish rock bottom of the Premier League. Fulham did what they had to do, weren't spectacular, but they're a better team with Vinicius at the spearhead of their attack than they are with Jimenez. The, the goal they scored, actually, um, where Vinicius drops deep into midfield, plays a lovely flick around the corner to Pereira, and he lays it on a plate for Decor Dover Reed to slot home. That was one of the best goals of the weekend, I think. Ah, oh, brilliant. The Pereira ball into the centre was excellent, but it started in the left fullback position, didn't it, with Anthony Robinson? I thought that just it was a great team goal uh, for Decor Dover Reed to finish. Uh, they finished 3 1. Um, worth pointing out that Sheffield United's boss, uh, Paul Heckingbottom, after one point from eight games, turned around afterwards and said, We are still a bit naive at this level. And the experience of Egan, the experience of Basham being taken out of that team for a little while is going to be a problem. Now, at this point, usually in the podcast, I would pick up my book, close it and go Palace Neil, Forest Neil, and then just put it away. However, 
there was an unbelievable run by Murillo in this game, which I think, he sent me a message last night saying, I can't believe I'm staying up to watch this, the last game on match of the day. And I said, stick around because Murillo does a fantastic darting run, reminiscent of the great Ozzy Ardiles or Maradona. And there was a brilliant bit of skill from Morgan Gibbs-White yes. as well, where the ball drops over his uh, shoulder from about 70 yards and he just tries to hook it on the volley. I actually, I'm not you giving a bit, so I actually thought it was nil-nil. On the highlights, there was a lot of chances. Mateta missed like a great chance for Crystal Palace. Yeah, yeah so, and he tried, because Palace haven't got Elise, Eza is not playing either, so that's struggling with creativity. Two best players. Yeah, exactly. And he played uh, Edouard and Mateta, but I'd like to see them two play through the middle, but you play Edward sort of on the left-hand side. Uh, we were talking last night, and I said Palace without Ezra are, are one of the most boring teams to watch in the league when, when he's not playing. But they're what you expect from a Roy Hodgson side. They're efficient. They're not going to concede many goals. I think Sam Johnson actually has had a, a really good start to the season. But I, I think maybe Forrest will be the more pleased the two because they had those opportunities. Their away record is improving. And you having tipped your friend Steve Cooper to take them down this season Hold on. I think they'll be absolutely fine Hold on that is absolutely true I did that when I'd spoken to him and realised he hadn't got the players that he wanted to get in and then how many players did he get in after that? I think they signed seven on deadline day Right okay so I think it changed the complexion of the whole arrangement after that They've had as many clean sheets already away from home as what they had the whole of last season You tipped once to go down <laughs> Yeah but they had a different manager then so what, exactly. you know what? I feel like America's guidance counselor. <laughs> like, well, and what preview was that on, by the way? Who else did you tip on your other 20 previews that you did? <laughs> Just changing. I think I tipped Wolves in all of them, to be did honest. You? Yeah. Do you know that this is recorded, right? They can, like, reference it back. Because if not, you know what he's talking down the pub. <laughs> just go, I didn't say that. But, um, <laughs> That's what he says all the time. One year is out for it. I know, it's, it's, it's going to be bad. big for Forrest. It's yeah, about Chris, Chris yeah, Wolves not going to score the goals. That is a bit of a worry. Listen, it's international break. England play Australia and... Italy. We'll make sure you're uh, kept up to date with that on Premier League All Access over the next week and any of the Premier League news that happens over the next uh, few uh, weeks. So we'll see you again soon. Perry, thank you very much. Are you going to go and celebrate the win now? Are you going to do no, a little dance? Gonna, uh, be the peacemaker between you two, just like hands across the sea. We're, st we're staying in the same hotel room tonight. Same room in it, apparently. Yeah, absolutely. It's like Morecambe and Wise. Yeah, have a little cuddle. Um, you can follow that on social media. It's not really, I'm not going to live tweet it or anything. Um, we will we be might. back, though, throughout the course of the week covering for White and Jordan. So if you enjoy the podcast, then you may well enjoy that as well. Come and join us on TalkSport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.